0: Alright, so um, this is Vineyard 101. Two big topics for today are salvation and baptism. And while wow, they're so important. And uh, so salvation, the thing you have to know about salvation is that it's God's plan. Uh, it's not humanity's plan. Uh, our plan of salvation would probably look like following a lot of rules and rituals and, um, uh, you know, achieving certain levels of enlightenment, something like that. But none of those are God's plan uh, of salvation. Uh, So he has a specific plan uh, in Jesus, and that's really helpful. Um, Why do we need salvation? You know, what is that even about? Uh, And uh, so to sort of get the concept, we have to realize, first off, that that we need to be saved. And um, the reason that we need to be saved is because we've all sinned, and our sin has separated us from God. Um, that's the that's the easiest way to say that all of us have sinned. Sometimes people, you know, wonder about that. It's really not about being a good person or a bad person. It's just about sin. And all of us have done it. We've all done things we should have done. It happens at very, very young. Uh, and it's just part of the process. So. Um we have a sin nature. Ecclesiastes seven twenty says, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First John one eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So so this is an issue um that all of us have that everybody has in the world we've all sinned we've done something that we shouldn't um, lots of things mostly and our sin separates us from God God is perfect we are not uh, and because of sin and so um, culturally often what you'll hear people say is, well, that's, it's really just about being a good person. If you're a good person, our culture now believes if you're a good person, then you're good with God and um, everybody gets to go to heaven and that's just the way it is. But that's not what the Bible says on the, on the subject at all. It's not even close. And what the Bible tells us is that we've all got an issue. We've all sinned. It's separated us from God and we can't get back in our own strength. We can't get back by being good, but God makes a way. For us to get back. And so um, this sin has caused a problem. It's rebellion against God. It, it, uh, sin harms us. It harms others. Uh, it dishonors God. And, um, and so sin is an issue. Uh, and the punishment for sin is death. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin. The punishment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so because we've all sinned, that was the punishment that we've earned, which includes then eternal separation from God. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So sin uh, and its uh, punishment are a big deal. Death which uh, separation from God. And um, unfortunately, uh, apart from salvation, that would be the destiny of all of us. But, but God has made a way for us. Um, he's given us a, a way to be reconciled back to himself. Um, we couldn't do it in our own strength. I'm just reemphasizing that point. But he's made a way. How do he do it? Well, in effect, what, what God does is that God comes um, in Jesus. Fully man, fully God. He enters the scene. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Continues on in John one fourteen the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So speaking of Jesus entering the scene um, and he made his dwelling among us. If you were here this last weekend, I talked again about that word. There's actually he tabernacled among us. And it's a picture of um, uh, heaven and earth coming together again in the person of Jesus. Then Jesus lived a sinless life, the, the life that none of us could live second corinthians five twenty one God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life um, and, and um, then he takes that life uh, that perfect life to the cross, and there he 's going to present himself as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But um, he knows what it was like to live this life. Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So here we have the picture of Jesus living a sinless life, uh, uh, the perfect life that we couldn't live, and then offering himself as that perfect sacrifice on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 15.3 Mostly we will know this because we do these verses a lot. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So so as part of all that had been prophesied um, that, that we understand from the threat of redemption we talk about that starts way back in Genesis 3.15. This was God's plan for us for reconciliation that he himself would come and uh, in, in Jesus live this perfect sinless life and then going to the cross on our behalf where he would die for us Colossians one twenty two. but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation and since Jesus you know fully God um, dies his death of his uh, infinite and eternal value and, and it paid fully for the sins of the world, First John two two, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, there on the cross, um, by by offering Himself as a perfect sacrifice, He paid for all our sins. But then He He takes it beyond that, which is which is good news, because uh, because it's it's good that that He paid for our sins, that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. But But there's more to what he did is is because uh, he resurrected from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is pivotal. And um, we have to understand that a part of our promise is resurrection. I started to talk about it last week and I'm going to talk about it more. Bodily resurrection is part of the promise that we have Um, because that's really how death is overcome. So when when Jesus defeated death, when he rose again in 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 some type of new body, um, as the first of many, he he did that for us. It changes everything. And and uh, you know I started talking about last weekend. We we sort of have a way of thinking of life after death, which is good. But but I introduced the idea to you about life after life after death, and that we we often um, think of sort of heaven as being the end point when that's not what the scripture says. Um, in the scripture, and we read it together in Revelation 21, it talks about, you know, heaven coming down to earth, which has been what happened in the creation. We talked about that in Genesis, that, that you know, in Eden, heaven and earth, there was that place where they dwelt together. And then we saw pictures of it at the tabernacle, at the t- temple, at Jesus, and now with us and the Holy Spirit that... That's ultimately what's going to happen, is that when Jesus comes back and, and, and straightens everything out, and the last enemy to be overcome is death, um, we all uh, are given new bodies, resurrected bodies, some type of physical body that is then indestructible, incorruptible, Paul says, and will dwell again on earth. It, it, it's going to be an amazing body like Jesus. When you When you think about what Jesus could do after the resurrection... So oftentimes people want to start to think about Jesus sort of like, because, um, you know, he could, he was all of a sudden showing up in rooms without coming through doors. So he would, walls were no longer an issue. Doors, locked doors weren't an issue. Apparently he could come and go as he pleads, you know, in, in all sorts of uh, dimensions that we don't understand. that That's us. He was demonstrating what this new body was capable of. Things that we we can't even hardly imagine at this point. Um, but that we need to start imagining because it's pretty cool to think about. And it wasn't that he was, I always tell people this, when he, when he was able to walk through the wall to see the disciples, it wasn't because he was less real than the wall, it was because that new body is more real than that wall. And and you have to start thinking differently. Um, and that's pretty cool to think about. So uh, so the other way of thinking of it, if heaven is the end point, we sort of thinking of ourselves more as... Um, Spiritual, sort of disembodied, but that's not the promise. The promise is a, a physical body for for eternity that we're supposed to have. So um, that's what he does when he's resurrected. First Corinthians fifteen four through eight, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, And that he appeared to Peter then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also Paul says, as to one abnormally born. So, um, his, this appearance, this resurrected appearance, not as a ghost, but, but in a physical body, was seen by hundreds of witnesses, uh, and many of whom were still alive when Paul wrote uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So, we have eyewitness testimony of the resurrection, it's a huge thing for us to understand and to know. Um, I like to think about it when when Jesus defeated death and when he's resurrected, the, the first of many, the scripture says. Um, uh, I was thinking about it the other day, how cool it was. You know, he He is um, given this new body, he comes back to life and he kind of folds up his grave cloths. Uh, and because they're folded in there it makes them kind of neat don't need those and off he goes and and then he this it, it, is a whole new world that he introduces us to and at the same time he's doing some very normal things like we would consider normal as well like sometimes he's recognized immediately and sometimes he's not i'm not sure exactly what's going on with that um he's still eating which is pretty cool to know. he's still walking around with his disciples he's uh, he's you know he's out on the beach he has a has a chicken barbecue or fish barbecue. I mean and uh lots of things happening. So so that's salvation. How can we be saved? Uh, I tell you this story all the time from Acts sixteen, twenty nine through thirty one. Um the remember Paul and Silas are in imprisoned in you know for just preaching the gospel, they start to praise and worship at midnight and there's an earthquake and everything shakes loose and all the prisoners are freed, but nobody leaves. And the jailer, uh, who's been, who's responsible for all of them, he thinks he's going to have to kill himself because he's in big trouble, but no one is left because of the power of God that's taking place right there. And when the jailer sees it, um, he, he says to them, uh, The jailer calls for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So the way that we're saved is is to believe. That's the only requirement. That's the requirement. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So God has provided our salvation in Christ, and all our, our part is just receiving it by faith, trusting in Jesus alone as Savior. John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts four twelve salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved so that's the idea of salvation um, if that's if you haven't ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior I'd suggest that you do best decision you will ever make it's just a it's it's really a, a prayer of uh, I say it all the time in here it's humility and faith and humility is just admitting to God you're broken realizing your need because you've sinned for a Savior, and then asking Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. That's at the heart of it. If you've never done that, you need to do that. And if that's something you've done recently, uh, on our website um, we have a whole thing for new believers, uh, as well as Next Steps for those even coming, but uh, lots of helpful information there. All right, let's talk about baptism in the time that we have left. Uh, Baptism is one of two ordinances ordinances that Jesus... um, Instituted for the church, the other one is communion. Just before his ascension, Jesus says in Matthew 28:19 and 20, "Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age." So um, the church is responsible to teach Jesus' word, to make disciples, and to baptize. Those disciples. They're to be done everywhere, all nations, until the very end of the age, until Jesus comes back. Uh, and so, um, baptism is important, if for no other reason than than Jesus says that we need to be baptized. Um, that would be enough. He commands it. But um, beyond that, it's a very significant picture, not only um, for us, I think, as individuals to to have the connection, but also for what it means. Supernaturally. It's a declaration um, that you've chosen to follow Jesus. And, and so um, they were baptizing um, before the time of Jesus. But it was a uh, it was about converts. It was signified the converts is cleansed. Um, John the Baptist was using baptism as a way to prepare people um, to prepare the way of the Lord. He was requiring everyone to be um, baptized because everybody needed repentance. Um, but his baptism is different than the baptism that we're called to. Um, and the scriptures are talk about that in Acts eighteen. Uh you can read that one in Acts nineteen. Um, the the baptism they'd experienced was John's baptism, not the baptism that Jesus calls us to, which is of deeper significance. Uh, it's to be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, which which makes it Christian baptism. Uh, and um, we're baptized in effect, by the Spirit um, into the body of Christ, which is the church. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For we're all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one Spirit to drink. Uh, and so this baptism by water, it's sort of a reenactment of the baptism by the Spirit. Um, when you give your life to Jesus, I keep telling you this, that one of the things that happens is that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, that's an amazing picture, and, and um, th- this idea of water baptism it's a, it's a sort of a reenactment of that it's It's fascinating the The word for baptism um, actually sort of has this picture in it uh, of like do like, um, you know if you take a cucumber and you put it in pickling liquid, it becomes a pickle. everybody aware of that? And the word for that process is actually very close to the word for being baptized. Something happens significant in the process. Um, it's like well, I'm, I don't dye wool, but when you put wool in dye, that takes that that takes that color of it. It's, and then it stays that color. You can't get it back out of there. It's part of the process. And that's there's from dyed wool right there. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of a picture of being baptized. It actually changes you in this process. And, um, um, water baptism is a, is a reenactment of what happens. So when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, you're changed and everything is different. Like a, like, you know, you started with a cucumber and you end up with a pickle. It was still a cucumber, but now it's a pickle. Everybody get it? And so that's really a picture of why it's so important to be baptized. It's something that's happening and then, um, it's a it's a picture, as I said, to everyone, including ourselves in the process. Uh, and it's a picture of cleansing and new birth and, and uh, new bodies and all those things that are that are happening. It's a it's a connection. When you go under the water, the way we baptize, it's a connection with Jesus in his death. And when you come out of the water, it's a it's a it's a connection, a picture of the connection with Jesus in his life. Um, Romans 6.11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's kind of a picture of baptism. Colossians 2.12, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So there's that. There's a picture of the cleansing of being put through the water. Romans 6.4. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So it's uh, it's an outward testimony of something that's already happened on the inside. Um, and it's something that we're called to do uh, because Jesus tells us to, so we certainly should do that in the process. Um, and so um, when you've when you've given your life to Jesus, you need to be baptized uh, in the process. Uh, depending on your tradition, some people would do that immediately, um, and and they would they would insist that the moment you got saved, you got baptized. We um, sort of feel it's an inward thing; it's an outward expression. So we um, we baptize here. Generally, we do it five times a year at Bayahonda. If someone is insistent on on doing it quicker, we'll make arrangements for that. But uh, generally, that's enough to sort of handle the flow of people as they're coming to know Jesus to get them baptized. We have another baptism coming up very soon, February 15th. So um, those are always great events. And um, put it on your calendars. If you haven't been baptized, you certainly need to be baptized. Um, Other people will come and get baptized because they don't remember being baptized. And I think that's certainly legitimate as well. Because uh, it illustrates your identification with His, with Christ's death and His burial and His resurrection, and um, and so baptism is a huge part of that. So, I took a short time to talk about two very important things, but uh, the things you 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 need to know and uh, should know in the process, and we'll talk about more when we get back together next time, in Vineyard 201. But that's enough for today. So I'm going to end.